My name is Neil Korobov. I am a professor of psychology at the University of West Georgia. When I would write poetry as a young man, they were often love poems. And I look back at them now in my old journals, and I'm more than a little embarrassed. But I love that young man who wrote those poems for how easily he could give himself over to raw sentimentality. I no longer can do that. And as I got older, I grew to dislike most poems that were explicitly about being in love. They felt too pink. Instead, a love poem for me was one that was usually about hazarding oneself for love or about the enveloping pain of losing a love and how we find ways to go on while holding to that memory. But this poem for today, Gate C-22 by Ellen Bass, is none of that. It's a throwback to the perfectly sweet poems that drip and ooze with honey. And I love it. Every line of it. Every last word. It's a poem that I can taste. Gate C-22 by Ellen Bass At Gate C-22 in the Portland airport, a man in a broad-band leather hat kissed a woman arriving from Orange County. They kissed and kissed and kissed. Long after the other passengers clicked the handles of their carry-ons and wheeled briskly toward short-term parking, the couple stood there arms wrapped around each other, like he'd just staggered off the boat from Ellis Island, like she'd just been released at last from ICU, snapped out of a coma, survived bone cancer, made it down from Annapurna in only the clothes she was wearing. Neither of them was young. His beard was gray. She carried a few extra pounds you could imagine, her saying she had to lose. But they kissed lavish kisses, like the ocean in the early morning, the way it gathers and swells, sucking each rock under, swallowing it again and again. We were all watching. Passengers waiting for the delayed flight to San Jose, the stewardesses, the pilots, the aproned woman icing Cinnabons, the man selling sunglasses. We couldn't look away. We could taste the kisses crushed in our mouths. But the best part was his face. When he drew back and looked at her, his smile soft with wonder, almost as though he were a mother still open from giving birth, as your mother must have looked at you, no matter what happened after, if she beat you or left you, or you're lonely now. You once lay there, the vernix not yet wiped off, and someone gazed at you as if you were the first sunrise seen from Earth. The whole wing of the airport hushed, all of us trying to slip into that woman's middle-aged body, her plaid Bermuda shorts, sleeveless blouse, glasses, little gold hoop earrings, 
tilting our heads up. I was reluctant to use a love poem for this project, but if I was going to, it was likely going to be by someone like Ellen Bass. Date C-22 was not the first poem of hers that I had read. The first one was, of course, her very popular poem, If You Knew, which I've quoted from in other talks. It's a precious poem about how the way we see others changes when we see them with an awareness that their time here, like ours, is preciously short. And years later, I read Philip Levine's review of her poem, What Did I Love, for The New Yorker. That was a watershed moment for her. The great Pulitzer Prize-winning poet Philip Levine choosing her poem, among hundreds of others, as his favorite to feature on the premiere episode of The New Yorker Poetry Podcast. So I read that poem, What Did I Love, and I was sickened. If you haven't already read it, it's essentially a very graphic and observational poem about going to a farm at dawn and slitting the throats of scores of chickens, one after another, methodical, with an exquisite care given to detail each surgical step in the process, and her trance-like satisfaction with it all. I struggled with every line of that poem, though I could see how powerful and complex it was what Levine called the surgical slaughter and yet tenderness of it. It was a couple years later that I discovered her poem, Gate C-22. And I think it was the fact I knew what she was capable of on the other side of the emotional spectrum that made me feel like I could trust a love poem by her and not be turned off by it. Gate C-22 felt genuine, and I trusted it. I trusted Ellen Bass. And the more I got to know her work, and life, the more that made sense. Ellen Bass has been writing poetry for about 40 years. Her work is widely published, critically acclaimed, and it's won many awards. She is an internationally known best-selling nonfiction writer as well. She's known for writing poems about becoming a woman, falling in love, and exploring her sexuality. She's not shy about talking candidly about physical and sexual intimacy. Her poems will make you blush. She has also written extensively about child sexual abuse and is, in fact, very well known and appreciated for exactly that. There's nothing that is cliche or maudlin about her work. She's complex and her poetry is achingly human. And so, if I was going to choose a love poem, and I thought I might, something from Ellen Bass is just perfect. Gate C22 is delicious and visceral. It's a love poem that transcends itself. Anyone reading it immediately recognizes it and relates to it, either because maybe you've been lucky enough in your life to have been that man or woman in the poem, or you recognize it and are envious of it, and you know you'd give anything to have that experience just once.
Figuring out how to make a love poem like this apropos for teaching was actually easy. There's a hundred ways this poem is a gift to teachers. First and most obviously, the poem is about being reunited. The French have a word for this. The word is retro uvales, and it's a word that refers to the feeling of overwhelming joy that accompanies seeing someone after a long separation. The poem is at its heart about the raptures of being reunited. It makes me think of those scenes you see in videos where men or women who have been deployed in the military for quite some time come back unexpected, and you see them sneak up on a loved one, usually a child. And you get to witness the child seeing their dad or their mom for the first time in ages. Or maybe it's a video of them seeing their dog for the first time in forever. These are the most amazing moments ever. I hate them too, because in a way, you know, you know what's about to happen. And I know what's going to happen to me when I watch it. They're hard to watch, but they're perfect moments in our humanity. You see the child at first in shock and disbelief. They are stunned. And the parent who has returned is smiling and confirming with their open arms and wide smile that it's true. I'm back. This is happening. This is real. And then you see something so precious and unguarded and unrepeatable. You see the child's shock turn into an ocean of joy, but it's not happiness. They aren't leaping around and smiling and cheering. The tidal force of it is just too much. And they usually just fall into their parents' arms and they cry and cry so hard. And then the parent begins to cry. And suddenly the scene shifts. And it's the most intimate and private moment ever. And you feel like you should look away, but you can't. But it's still hard to look at. For me, it is anyway. And then, you know, soon the crowd around them begins to cheer and holler. You know, they want this to be a celebration. The intimacy's uncomfortable. And so the child and parent begin to smile and laugh, and then there's happiness. But you can imagine if nobody else were present, that the two reunited would just hold one another, like this couple does in the poem, oblivious to the world. This poem is about how you are swept into joy and exultation when witnessing something impossibly tender and full of emotion, and how that brings a deep release. In reunions like this, there is a sudden death. It's the death of a painful absence, and how the surroundings don't matter in those moments, how the two reunited are transported to some other realm, and you feel strange for watching such intimacy, and you feel like you should look away, but you can't because witnessing it is so healing. It's perfect too that this happens at an airport where we are in hurry up mode. It ruptures that sense of a frenzied focus and brings us back to the heart of life. We are often arrested by intimacy when and where we least expect it. And that's probably a good thing. I think our teaching is at its best when it is accompanied by these kinds of moments. Moments where we witness two wholly separate things 
coming together after a long separation and of the joy and release that it brings. Connections like this happen all the time. They need not be at gate C-22 at a busy airport. They can be in the classroom or in the hallway as you walk into or out of class or over a meal or on a walk, anywhere. I think of these moments as collisions or transformative encounters with those parts of our hearts that live outside of our body. We are certainly changed forever when we collide with our life like this, as well as when we witness it in the lives of others. This is also a poem about unintentionally arriving into a space where you are utterly uninhibited and you can let go of that part of your self-awareness that is tuned into what others think of you. And the key word here is unintentional. These are unintentional moments of being uninhibited. There are many people who are intentionally, as part of their identity or self-expression, trying to be seen as someone who doesn't care about what others think, and they will do whatever they want in a public moment as a kind of show. This is not about that. This is about unintentional disinhibition. You simply are uninhibited because the moment calls for it, and you give yourself to it because it is right. It's a poem about being unselfconscious in those spaces, a poem about letting what we love envelop us completely and set us free. I think there's probably a limited number of true moments in most of our lives where our full hearts and our full capacity for intimacy is on such wild display that we could care less about how we are seen. Existentially, these are important life or death moments, I think. They are the triumph of love over the impossible, self-censoring weight of self-consciousness a vibrant aliveness, and awakening of every part of our body. The couple in this poem is drunk on one another, and there's a radical witnessing of love and full acceptance and wonder that they share and give to us as observers. The lines near the end of the poem speak, speak poignantly to this. But the best part was his face, she says. The best part was his face. When he drew back and looked at her, his smile soft with wonder, almost as though he were a mother, still open from giving birth, as your mother must have looked at you, no matter what happened after, if she beat you, or left you, or you're lonely now, you once lay there, the vernix not yet wiped off, and someone gazed at you as if you were the first sunrise seen from earth. This is radical witnessing and full acceptance full wonder and amazement. This only happens when our inhibitions and walls and guardedness and insecurities disappear. It's important, too, that these are ordinary people. Both are middle-aged, graying, slightly overweight. These are not young beauties in love for the first time, like we see in the movies. They are aged. And on the surface, there's nothing sexy about them. Maybe that's why I like this kind of poem. I trust it and can relate to it. I can imagine myself as one of them. 
There's nothing spectacular about their outward performance either. What matters is not the conventional beauty of it, but the sincerity of it, the heart of it. How love and lust doesn't die with age, but deepens. How the most erotic moments transcend the trappings of the flesh. The broader message here is a real call to authentic genuineness. I often hear that professors who cater to the student's expectations get the best evaluations. The ones who are young, entertaining, beautiful, charismatic. I don't want to accept that, and I don't think we should. What this kind of love poem tells us as teachers is that being extraordinarily genuine and free and alive in your own skin and trusting in that kind of gravitational pull is what your students will find truly beautiful. Finally, I think the poem is about how we are seen by others, how we are watched in a non-contemptuous way. In E.M. Forster's book, Where Angels Fear to Tread, he has this gorgeous line. He says, for it is a serious thing to have been watched. We all radiate something curiously intimate when we believe ourselves to be alone. It's easy to think that the poem is about, about the couple and the beauty of what they are experiencing. But it's told from the perspective of an onlooker. We can imagine Ellen Bass watching this scene unfold. She's one of us. We are watching this with her. The couple is lost in each other, unaware and unconcerned with being seen. They are alone and are radiating something for the rest of us. I'm struck here by the quality of looking at someone in the way we are invited to look at this couple and what it's like to see somebody in a moment when they aren't aware. Even if they know, there's nothing about your gaze that corners them. So the question is this, why couldn't the people in the airport look away? That's a big question here for this poem. Maybe the biggest question the poem asks us to consider. Our inability to look away is not because the couple was intensely making out. It wasn't something vicariously sexual that drew us in. It was their innocence. We can see his face and the way he drew back and looked at her. The wonder in his eyes becomes the wonder in our own. We are invited to see them the way they see one another. In a way, then, they lend us their eyes by allowing us to watch them in a brief moment when they are completely unaware that they're being watched. I think when we truly lose ourselves in the flow of our teaching and our students get to witness it, the same sort of beauty is happening. We are all participants in something truly innocent. We are seeing something untouched and pure and right. When you witness this kind of tenderness, I think it changes you. It does something to your wounds and your hurts. It does to mine, at least. It's hard to explain. You're healed in some small measure when you see someone look at the gift they have been given as if it were the first sunrise on earth.
to quote the poem. The pure and utter absence of judgment and the total presence of sheer delight and love and adoration and acceptance. You are mine and I am yours fully. It's no wonder that every onlooker wants to climb into the skin of those two. We are all equally envious and grateful. Gate C-22 by Ellen Bass At Gate C-22 in the Portland airport, a man in a broad-band leather hat kissed a woman arriving from Orange County. They kissed and kissed and kissed. Long after the other passengers clicked the handles of their carry-ons and wheeled briskly toward short-term parking, the couple stood there arms wrapped around each other, like he'd just staggered off the boat from Ellis Island, like she'd just been released at last from ICU, snapped out of a coma, survived bone cancer, made it down from Annapurna in only the clothes she was wearing. Neither of them was young. His beard was gray. She carried a few extra pounds you could imagine, her saying she had to lose. But they kissed lavish kisses, like the ocean in the early morning, the way it gathers and swells, sucking each rock under, swallowing it again and again. We were all watching. Passengers waiting for the delayed flight to San Jose, the stewardesses, the pilots, the aproned woman icing Cinnabons, the man selling sunglasses. We couldn't look away. We could taste the kisses crushed in our mouths. But the best part was his face. When he drew back and looked at her, his smile soft with wonder, almost as though he were a mother still open from giving birth, as your mother must have looked at you, no matter what happened after, if she beat you or left you or you're lonely now. You once lay there, the vernix not yet wiped off, and someone gazed at you as if you were the first sunrise seen from Earth. The whole wing of the airport hushed, all of us trying to slip into that woman's middle-aged body, her plaid Bermuda shorts, sleeveless blouse, glasses, little gold hoop earrings tilting our heads up.
The poem Gate 22 by Ellen Bass is from her book, The Human Line. A special thanks to the University of West Georgia for providing the time and resources to create this project.